The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Support for this show comes from John Maxwell Taylor's Gravida award-winning performance on the life of Swiss psychiatrist Carl Gustav Jung. Now available in a stunning new 3D audio set. To learn more, please visit www.johnmaxwelltaylor.com. From Spirituality and Health magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is artist and author Julia Cameron. Julia is an award-winning poet, playwright, and filmmaker with over 30 books to her credit. Perhaps best known for the book The Artist's Way, and the movement to reclaim and express one's creativity that it spawned, Julia's new book, It's Never Too Late to Begin Again, seeks to spark the creativity of the retiring boomer generation. An interview with Julia Cameron will appear in the May-June issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Julia Cameron, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, it's really an honor to talk with you. I've read almost everything you've written. So I want to start with a statement you make on the video that's featured on your website, juliacameronlive.com. And you say that you don't make a distinction between creativity and spirituality. So tell me what you have in mind when you say that. What's the connection between the two, or are they simply, for you, synonyms? Well, I feel, uh, you know, I've been teaching for 25 years, and I've watched... uh, all sorts of people work with the tools. And what I have found is that the tools are actually a portal to faith. Uh, and that when people work on their creativity, they automatically work on their spirituality. Uh, and so I, I find myself saying to people, uh, if you do morning pages, it's an effective form of prayer and meditation. Uh, And if you want to try it, uh, you may feel yourself in touch with a benevolent higher power. So I I feel that creativity and spirituality go hand in glove. If you work on your spirituality, your your creativity increases. Ah, okay. If you work on your uh, creativity, your spirituality increases. And I'm going to ask you to just remind us of the tools, in case people don't remember them. But before I do that, what's your definition of spirituality? 
I would I would say spirituality is conscious contact uh, with a greater power. Excellent. So it's uh, it's a matter of recognizing that you are connected to a larger force, uh, and uh, spirituality for me doesn't uh, boil down to religion. It does boil down to faith. And the difference between the two is? Well, if you are believing in uh, a, a set religion, you're, you're believing in a, a form of spirituality that's as told to you by. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you are believing in spirituality, you're having a personal experience. So I'm so pleased to hear you define spirituality phenomenologically as experience as opposed to a feeling. It always annoys me when people feel spiritual. You're actually talking about an experience with something, a direct encounter with something larger than yourself. Yes, exactly. And the tools. Just remind us of the tools that, that can help us have this encounter. Okay, there are three basic tools. Now, when I wrote The Artist's Way, I thought there were two basic tools. But it's 25 years later, and I've learned. So the tools are, the first tool is something called morning pages. Uh, And morning pages are three pages of longhand morning writing about anything. So they're strictly stream of consciousness. You don't show them to anyone. They're for your eyes only. And they are, in effect, uh, a position statement. Uh, to the universe, where you're saying to God or the higher power or the universe or the Tao, whatever you want to call it, you're saying, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is what I want more of, this is what I want less of. Uh, And you're sort of, uh, it's as though you're on a little life raft and you're tapping out a message. Uh, The second tool is a tool I call an artist's date. And it has two parts, artist and date. And it's going out once a week to do something that's fun for yourself, something that enchants you, something that intrigues you, uh, something that is not work but is sheer delight. So you, uh, it's, in effect, it's a signed play. So that's the second tool. So you use those two tools in conjunction and you have a spiritual awakening. Uh, And what happens uh, on the third tool, which is simply put, go for a walk. Go for a walk twice a week for 20 minutes by yourself. Uh, No cell phone, no dog, no friend, no, no child. Just you yourself walking. And what happens when you walk is that the insights that you've had from the other two tools come swimming to the fore and they become integrated. So uh, when I wrote The Artist's Way, I, it's a 12-week course, and we got to week 12, and I said, oh, P.S., exercise. <laughs> and, and, and you actually have a book called Walking in This World. Yes, that was once I knew what I was doing. Yeah, very, very powerful. Well, just so, just so you know, I practice all three of those. So uh, it's, it's had a very, very big impact on me. So let me, let me ask you this then about, because you're, starting, you're associating morning pages with prayer, and you've written three prayer books, Heart Steps, Blessings, and Transitions. 
is there a book called Answered Prayers. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't aware of a fourth one. I will make a note of that. Yes, it's a new one. Oh, congratulations. That's great. So let, so here, here's my question. Is there something unique or different about writing liturgy, writing prayers, that's different well, than the other kind of writing you might do? I, I find that I feel more directly connected because the Jesuit said to me, you're a writer. Don't just think your prayers. Write your prayers. Uh, and so I started writing prayers. Uh, and uh, I was asked to write a foreword to a book of prayers by Ernest Holmes, uh, the founder of Science of Mind. Uh, and I found uh, that when I wrote uh, affirmative prayers, I got a greater sense of calm than when I just sort of muttered my prayers. Hmm. Do they grow out of your morning pages or... Are they really a separate project? You sit down to write a prayer. They're a separate project. Uh, I tend to do them late at night, uh, and they tend to calm me down. Wow. Now, now, when you share them in a book, and now you've got four books on uh, collections of them, who are you imagining the reader to be? Well, I'm hoping the reader is everybody. Uh, but I'm imagining uh, that they are particularly uh, connected uh, to science of mind practitioners. And uh, that isn't to say that I don't think a few Wiccans couldn't enjoy them. <laughs> Is that your, your community, science of mind, or new thought in a, in a larger context? Um, well, they they made me uh, person of the year a few years back. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, so they were claiming uh, claiming me before I was claiming them. Uh, <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> I have had Sufis tell me, "Oh, you've written a Sufi book," mm -hmm. and Wiccans say, "Oh, it's a Wiccan book." Uh, so I I think that. Uh, it picks up the coloration of the reader. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So the prayers really are, are universal. Let, let me shift gears a little bit and ask you about creativity. You write that most of us have no idea of our real creative height. We are much more gifted than we know. And I'm wondering what you think the reason is that we don't know what our own you know, creative height is. Is it, are we sort of, is it drilled out of us? I, I think you're bringing up a couple of points. Uh, the, f the first one is that we have a very negative mythology around creativity. Uh, we tend to think artists are broke, crazy, um, addicted, uh, a whole sort of list of, of negatives. And that doesn't make you want to rush right out and do it. Uh, and then the other thing that happens uh, is that we have our personal uh, conditioning. And very often, uh, if you say to a parent, I want to be a writer, they say, oh, darling, don't you think you might need something to fall back on? So uh, creativity isn't personally encouraged. It's a, it's a rare parent who says, go for it, sweetheart. 
Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. I think parents are, are I mean... I, I guess they're nervous that, uh-oh, only a few people make it, and I don't want to have to support you for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a friend who's a wonderful pianist, uh, and he has two children, and he is, has told me repeatedly how relieved he is that his children went into business instead of art. And well, they're not mutually they, exclusive. You got you got Wallace Stevens who wrote wonderful poetry and was uh, what is it VP in an insurance firm. So, right. I guess you can you can do it both ways. You know, and, and along the same lines, at the end of the new book, it's never too late to begin again. Actually, in the epilogue, you express the hope that that the reader has become more colorful. I love that the more color colorful than she or he had imagined. And while I read when I read that. I was reminded of the, the movie Pleasantville, 1998, this movie Pleasantville. It's filmed in black and white, and the tension of the movie is trying to get the town of Pleasantville to move into color. They're afraid mm-hmm. of color, of being colorful. And I'm wondering, what is it that feeds this fear of being colorful? Well, I think we're afraid of being too big for our britches. Hmm. Uh, and I think we get a lot of feedback uh, that when we have a creative desire, it's just our ego. Uh, and I, in fact, wrote the artist's way out of a fit of temper. Uh, I was very tired of the way artists were being talked about uh, and talked to, and I wanted to write a, a manifesto. Uh, and I think I did. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's an excellent way to describe the the original book, that that it is a manifesto. It's calling for a a kind of revolution. So is the new book. It's never too late to begin again. You're you're aiming it at, if I I think you're aiming it at me. I mean, aging baby boomers. And I'm in my uh-huh. mid sixties. So sixty-eight. Okay, so we're we're in the same ballpark. Do does that demographic present? New different challenges than than you have seen in the past over the last twenty five years of doing this work. I wouldn't say they're different. I would say they are more acute. Hmm. Uh, I think uh, that there is a particular pain uh, that comes with retirement. Uh, we have dreams that we have not been able to actualize, uh, and we uh, we come into retirement. And suddenly we have vast swaths of time in which to do something, 
but we find ourselves procrastinating uh, and not stepping forward into our risks. So I think uh, that this new book uh, is aimed at telling people it's all right. It's normal to feel fearful or giddy or depressed or dejected. Uh, and if you can start to embrace these feelings as normal, uh, then you have a chance to move forward. So uh, the book, It's Never Too Late to Begin Again, and it has actually got four tools instead of three. We have morning pages, which I ask them to do every day. We have artist dates once a week, something fun, please. Walking twice a week, just unkinking your mind. Uh, and then the fourth tool is a memoir. Uh, and I think uh, many times people tell me, Julia, my life was so boring. And I say, just start exploring and see if it stays boring. <laughs> uh, Very interesting. What, what we find is that as people begin to contact their memories, uh, the memories do come to them in color. Uh, and they begin to realize that their life was actually much more interesting uh, and much more vivid uh, and much more powerful than they had previously known. So wow, that's, that's really fascinating. There, there's a practice in Judaism called ethical will. And, you know, in addition to any kind of, you know, any kind of last will and testament you make relating to your financial estate, this is an ethical will. What have you learned over the course of your life that you can leave as a manuscript? And when I teach people how to do this, I ask, I have them imagine, uh, it's, it's a memoir, but it's told in the third person to sort of imagine themselves almost as a fictional character and retell their story uh, and bring out whatever it was they learned in that context and leave it for uh, the next generation or the generation after. So, so that's, it's a, in effect, it's a legacy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Called again? Absolutely. What's, what is wonderful? It's called an ethical will. An ethical will. Yeah. Well, I wish you had called me up and told me that phrase before I wrote the book because I love it. <laughs> well, you can use it in other things. Um, so what's the response been? Do you know? Or is it too soon? It's too soon. I've shown it to about three people. Uh, and the response has been, oh, my God, you wrote it for me. I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I'm hoping... Uh, that people will read this book uh, and be released from creative constriction. You'd think that at the end, you know, moving into the last, I don't know, I'll be, I'll be optimistic, third of your life, that that wouldn't be the problem. But what I'm hearing you say and what I got from the book is that for many of us, um, there, it's not a third stage. It's just sort of a, a holding period until we're not here anymore. It seems to me that that's, you know, it's never too late, not just to begin again, but it's never too late to just be colorful. It's never too late to, to, to take on that artist's way manifesto and make something new out of the life you have left. Well, we have a, a longer period of time to live than we used to. Uh, it 
it used to be that 65 was old. And now we find that 65 is, is the brink of a new era. Uh, and people, uh, I have uh, just written a new play. Uh, and I didn't say to myself, oh, it's too late. I said, oh, I want to write this. Hmm. Right. So for you, this is not... You're not. You're not actually having a lot of time on your hands. You're you're using that time very creatively, and I think that, in addition to the book, is a great gift for the listener to pick up. And we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, but I really appreciate your being with us for the last twenty minutes, Julia. It was absolutely fascinating. Well, thank you. My guest today was poet, author, playwright, and filmmaker Julia Cameron, who her new book "It's Never Too Late to Begin Again" is in stores now. An interview with Julia will appear in the May-June issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Again, Julia, thanks so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. You're welcome, Rabbi. Support for this edition of Essential Conversations comes from Shambhala Publications, host of the upcoming online course, The Heart of the Matter, How to Live with Compassion and Courage, taught by Pema Chodron. To learn more and to register, visit www.shambhala.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.